just tuned in to join the Word with beloved Bible teacher and author Pam Jenkins. And we're so honored that you would join us in the opening of God's Word. Today is going to be a marvelous day in the Word of God as Pam opens up the very pages that give us life and give us purpose. So let's join Pam now as she reveals the truth of the day. So you've jumped into your study this week and you have dove hard, I know, like a good student into lesson one and you've had three days of study under your belt and you have learned why John wrote the words that he wrote and uh, he just picked out particular things and his point was made that the reason why I've written these things, Jesus did many things that maybe the books of the world couldn't even contain. And he goes on to say, but these have been written that you will believe, that you will believe that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Son of God. And by believing, have life in his name. So the whole goal of John's writing, everything that we study, will be to put our faith in Jesus, to deepen our faith in Jesus because of eternal life, to know him. And so this, this lesson tonight is just going to hopefully strengthen what you've already studied. So if you're taking notes, and I would encourage you to take notes, right at the top of your note sheet, a true testimony of Jesus. What is a true testimony of Jesus? Because we see a lot of, of claims today coming from Christendom, the Christian world, or quote, the religious world, don't we? making a lot of claims to be a representative of God or, or, or somebody will come up and say they've had a word from the Lord. Uh, and what they're doing is they're giving a testimony of Jesus. They're giving a testimony of something that they believe the Lord has told them. And there are those that say, I am representing the Lord. This is the word uh, from the Lord for our nation. And they'll, they'll give prophetic words and so that testimony, or those that say, I'm a Christian, and that's a testimony of saying, I belong to Christ, or I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Even in that testimony from a prophetic to the way we live, or that I'm a Christian, what is a true testimony out of that? How can we know what a true testimony is. And so this is what we have discovered in John chapter one, and I'm gonna pull these out for you. What we do learn about John uh, is very little about himself. In fact, he calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. And in John chapter one, there's actually two Johns in this chapter. There's uh, John the writer, but then there's John the Baptist that emerges upon the pages. And we know that he was Jesus's cousin. And, and, G and, and John the Baptist, we're not told a whole lot about his upbringing, but we do know that he had a strong testimony. And so from what John has written and how he begins his, his gospel, and then John the Baptist's words, we're going to see what is the true testimony of Jesus Christ, because there's a lot of false ones out there. And we need to know what is true. Well, John, although he doesn't tell us much about himself in this gospel record that he did write, we can put a few things together if you were to kind of string them together through God's word from all the gospel records. We can know that John's father was Zebedee. That was his father. John's mother was Salome was one of those women who went to the tomb early on the morning of the resurrection of Jesus with Mary Magdalene. So John's mother was right in there in the faith, and so was his father. John's brother was James. 
Now, not the brother, you know, of, of, of Jesus that we know, but he was James. Not that James, Jesus' brother, but John's brother, James. John was a partner in the fishing business with Peter. He would have been the one, uh, one of the ones coming to his rescue when all those fish in the nets were breaking. And then John and his brother, James, were given the nickname Sons of Thunder. Sons of thunder. So John was a son of thunder. But one thing that I love about John is that he doesn't make it about how much he loves Jesus. But he makes it rather about how much Jesus loves him. I am beloved. I am the disciple that Jesus loves. And it can seem kind of braggadocious, doesn't it, in a way. But he doesn't mean it that way. He means it in the way that I want to put it all about Jesus because the way that he loves, not the way that I'm loving him, which we tend to want to strut our stuff, don't we? When we're loving Jesus and we want the world to know, John refused to make it about himself. So that, that, that's one of the things of a true testimony of Jesus. Who's it about, right? So we're going to jump in and do portions of Scripture together. And, and in your book, you've got a place for your, for your notes for this session. So John 1, 1 through 5, this is how John begins his gospel. We know there are four gospels, and John chooses to begin his gospel uniquely, and we're going to see why in just a minute. He says, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. Now listen, he didn't say the Word was in God. The Word was with God. He was with God. And the Word was God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things come into being through him, and apart from him, not even one thing came into being that has come into being. That includes you. Apart from Jesus, he's saying you wouldn't exist. Apart from Jesus, we wouldn't have the oceans or the mountains or the green grass, the birds in the sky. We wouldn't have creation apart from him. That's pretty big. That's a pretty big deal. And in him was life, was life. And that life was the light of mankind. And the light shines in the darkness. I'm so glad that the light of Jesus can shine in the darkness. Even in the darkest hours of our culture, our world, our day, our seasons of life, even in those darkest times, it says that in him is your life, but he can shine even in that darkness. But it goes on to say the darkness did not grasp it, did not understand this light. And I believe if we went back to Genesis 1 and 1 through 4, we would find that when God said, let there be light, that's not, listen, that's not when Jesus was created. That's when God surrendered him as the answer for the world. The other lights didn't come on, on, until on down. You see, that light was Jesus, and we learn that as we get into God's Word. So let me give you four points about this true testimony. If we have a true testimony of Jesus, which is really what John chapter 1 is all about, number one is He is the first. He is the first. The first of what? Everything. The first of everything. 
He is first. When you open up the other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it's interesting that as the writers begin their Gospels, they each one picked a different place to begin with in the life, the ministry, the history of Jesus on the earth. And with the Gospel of Matthew, if we started in Matthew, we see that he began with the generation or the genealogy of Jesus going back to Abraham. And when Mark begins his gospel, he begins it at the baptism of Jesus by John the Baptist. That's why he's called John the Baptist, because when he comes on the scene, he's baptizing. When Luke began his gospel, he began it with this this, um, announcement to Zacharias of you're going to be a father. You're going to have a son, the father of John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus. But when John begins his gospel, he does something uniquely different. He goes clear on back to the very beginning of time, even not as we know it, but which has no beginning. He goes back, in the beginning was the word. He reaches all the way back to eternity. He goes back even further than Genesis. He said, if I stretched way back, I want you to know that he's the eternal one, that he has always been. He will always be. He is now and he will always be. So he stretches it back. The book of Genesis is the beginning of creation. We know that in the beginning God created, but God existed long before he created, right? So if we go back to the beginning of creation, but before that, we know that God was. So John goes back to the infinite, eternal past, and he declares, in the beginning was this word, Jesus. In the beginning was Jesus. In the beginning, Jesus was not only there, but he was with God in the beginning. Not in God, but with him. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He said he's that second person of the Holy Trinity. He's not just a prophet. He's not just a great man. He's not just a son of God, as some religions like the Jehovah Witnesses would want you to believe. He is the only begotten son of God. And this is what John sets the record straight because there was a lot of confusion. If we were to look at Colossians 1.17, It tells us this, and speaking of Jesus, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Listen, there are some days that I feel like, slap, I'm falling apart. (laughs) Or the situation's going downhill fast, right? It's going downhill fast. But he says, in him all things Hold together. So that tells me something important. I don't need to hold it together. He's the holder of the together. That's good doctrine right there. He's the holder of that. And before I get to a situation, it says he's before all things. Not just creation as we know it when God brought everything into existence in six days. But he's before your life ever began. He's gone before you. In your tomorrow, in your next year or the next 10 years, if, we're, if you're still here, I'm still here. 
He's already there. Because God in the very beginning, he said, let there be light. And Jesus, listen, everything's before. Everything is before. It tells us that in this, he is before all things. Let me give you what this word before means. So we just we understand that Pam's just not pulling this out of her, out of her shoe, out of her boot. Okay, it's true. Before means in front of, prior to, above, or of course before. Where I where I am. On any given day, in any given moment, Jesus is already there. I, I love to arrive at, at JBOT ministry office uh, before everyone gets there. And I, I, I love to go in and walk those halls, and I love to walk through those offices, and I love to speak his name through the building. But do you know he's already there? I'm not speaking his name into an empty building. I'm speaking his name to him in his presence. Because, of course, I know he's with me. But, do you know, he's already there, whatever I'm going to face that day. My prayer is help me not to lose control and forget that you're already here. And if you've gone before me, you've already prepared what I've needed. You're already there waiting. What's the need, daughter? What's the need? My bride. So I love that. said, so he's before all things. And remember last week we learned about the, if you were here, we learned about the tabernacle. We have the outer court that was expanded to include the Gentiles. If you're not a Jew, then you're a Gentile. That's probably all of us. I don't know if there are any Jews in the auditorium, but if there is, I want to squeeze you at the end of the service. You're God's chosen people. But there's the outer court, and Herod enlarged that to before Jesus came on the scene, 2019 B.C. And he, he enlarged the court, the outer court, where the people would wait because they could not enter the temple. But in this outer court's where the sacrifices were made. And we've got the temple itself, the inner court, which is the holy place and the holy of holies. John's wanting them to know that your eternal one, by the time that you walk into the outer court of your living, and we learned about that outer court, that's where we live. That's not where we created to be, but that is where we live. It's not our ending place. But he says, before anything that's already been established to happen in that outer court, even every decision that you've ever made, even when it was a bad one, even when it was the wrong one, even when you intentionally rebelled against the will of God or the word of God, he said, I've gone before you in that. And do you know what he's gone before you in? Mercy and grace, forgiveness, love, compassion, kindness. That's already there because he knows in the outer court, you're going to blow it. So he's already gone before you. He is the first, he's, but he's your first. Begin with Jesus. Before we speak a word, begin with Jesus. Before you reach for worry or anxiety, reach for Jesus. Start with Jesus. Before you act in fear or you, you kind of surrender to fear, remember Jesus. Start with Jesus. Before you act or decide, put Jesus first because that's his position. 
He's always meant to be first in every decision. Do you know how many times I've jumped into a decision and I didn't put Jesus first in that? Let me give you a nugget here, and it's painful. It's a painful nugget. I said, Lord, I don't want to say that. It's a painful but true nugget. And the nugget is this. Jesus cannot be first if self is already holding that position. Listen, your needs, your opinions, your agenda, your plan, your way, your dream, your thoughts, what you think is the right thing to do, the way to do it, that, that's, that's not why you're here. You see, Jesus has to be first because God ordained Jesus to be first, to hold first place. You say, what's a true testimony? Look at, what, look at the life and the testimony if they're a Christian. Are they putting themselves first or is Jesus first? What's a true testimony there? Who's first? Who's first? And if I want my testimony to bring glory to Jesus, to show who he is, he has to be first. What would Jesus do here? What would Jesus say here? What would be his will? What would be his heart? What would be his words? What would be his thoughts? And when I stop and I pull back the flesh of Pam Jenkins... And I stop in that moment and remember him. Most of the time, I will do what's honoring to God. Most of the time. Now, sometimes I've said, "Mm, I still don't like it. (laughs) But most of the time, he will settle me. And I, me me and the Lord, we we, kind of have a deal. If If I won't act in haste, And I just give it 24 hours before I'll speak about something. (laughs) You just like shut the thing down for 24 hours. Don't make a decision. Usually it's not, I'm glad I didn't speak, or I'm glad I didn't decide, or I'm glad I didn't act. Because I would have made it about me. And that's our nature to make it about us for us to be first. As we continue reading to our next point, if we, we drop down, now we, we, we've read um, verses 1 through 5, but if we drop down um, to verse 14 about this Word, we know in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. And it tells us about Him being the light and the life. We've just read that. But now this word in verse 14, something powerful happens. That word, it says, and the word became flesh. He put on flesh and He dwelt among us. And we saw His glory. Glory is of the only Son or begotten Son, depending on your translation, from the Father. And He's full of grace and He's full of truth. John testified about him. This is another testimony right here. And he called out saying, this was he of whom I said he who's coming after me has proved to be my superior before he existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received in grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. 
No one has seen God, he said, at any time. God, the only son who is in the arms of the father, he has explained him. So this is the doctrine of the Christian faith. And if we can't embrace this doctrine, then we are not Christians according to God's word. So Pam, I have to believe that Jesus came in the flesh. Yes, because if he didn't, he couldn't have died for your sins. You see, here's the people in the outer court. And if you remember with me last week, they came in the outer court and remember the altar was out there and they would bring their sacrifices, their burnt offerings. And then once a year, that high priest would go into the Holy of Holies where that that atonement was made for all the sins of the people, including the high priest. Only the high priest could go in there, and that's where God came down. So people couldn't see God. Only the high priest could go in that inner, that holy of holies, and the the holy place outside of that, in that inner court, only the priest could go. So as just ordinary people, we're out here. And we can see when he, when he would make an offering on the Day of Atonement, that glory of God, if he accepted the sacrifice, would fill the Holy of Holies. But all they could see was the, the smoke or the, the cloud of that. And they called that the Shekinah glory. But the Shekinah glory, listen, could it, we could see it out here. But that high priest, it said at times that God would fill, he would fill that holy of holies so, so strongly that they had to run out because they couldn't stay in there. But the people were at a distance. And they they really couldn't tell what is the glory of God really like besides this big like smoke cloud looking thing. But this is what he says. Your God is not in there anymore. Your God came in to the outer court and we beheld his glory, his Shekinah glory. The Shekinah glory, if you looked at the translation, what does that mean? It means the manifested presence of God. In other words, when it shows itself, that's when they saw the smoke, the, the, the realness of it. They could see it. They knew of the glory of God. I mean, we can say in, my, in our actions, okay, I, I gave glory to God today in my words, or I gave glory to God in this, or I gave glory to God by bringing him my burnt offering. You know, in that day, they could have said those kinds of things, but to, for it to be manifested means I can see it. And they could only see the cloud of it, but it was still, that, that's the Shekinah glory when it's been manifested for people to see. And so when Jesus came, we learned this last week, Jesus comes, it's God with skin on. And he walks into the, listen, he doesn't come down in the, in the Holy of Holies. He comes in the outer court, in a lowly stable, in a dirty, filthy stable. He comes into our outer court of life, God himself, because he was God. He was with God, the eternal one. He walks into the outer court, and now a true testimony is going to say, hey, it's the Shekinah glory. It's the manifested presence of God. God has skin on. He's real. I can see him. I can hear him. I can touch him. That's 
that's what this testimony John is saying took place. He's explained him. So he's not only the first, but number two, he is the worship. He's the worship. Because they came into the outer court to watch and to offer up those offerings, praying that God would accept it. And they could just catch a glimpse. I can't imagine waiting all year long and hoping that the sacrifice was acceptable because my sin was thrown in with everybody else's because it was an atonement for once a year and the high priest would go in. I can't imagine waiting and just getting just that glimpse once a year. Once a year. Just striving every day. Bringing daily sacrifices as burnt offerings, as praises and worship to God. But that atonement in there, the only way they knew that their sins had been covered for another year was if the Shekinah glory, if the manifested presence of God was saved. It means, okay, we're good family. We're good kids. We're good mom. We're good dad. Because God came down today and our sins are covered right now. We're good for another year. But what they didn't know was the Shekinah glory walked in and their sins weren't going to be covered anymore. Because John the Baptist is going to tell us what happens with the sin. Because you see, their sins were never removed. They were just covered. It was a temporary covering. He said, I want you to know that He is the worship. I want you to take your eyes off of that that is man-made. Because you see, the first temple and tabernacle was man-made to hold God. But now God is going to build His own temple that's not made with hands. Man's not going to build it. He's going to build it, and he's going to build it in you. The temple's going to become living. Listen, this is the heartbeat of the Christian faith, and we've got to know it, we've got to understand it, and we've got to see it. See, and today, the, the church has been lulled so much, the body of Christ. We've been lulled and entertained and, and swept away from, you know, I, I heard of a church recently that in their pulpit on a Sunday morning, they had a comedian come in. That saddens me. That saddens me. And it's not just that church, it's all over. It's a feel good that church should be entertaining for me. That it should be about how many people spoke to me today. How many people noticed me today? Where's God in that? Church was not made for you. It's made for God. It was made for God. He is your worship. You're not to be worshiped. He is. That's what true testimony right there. So often we come in church, woe is me, nobody accepts me, nobody loves me, nobody sees me, nobody spoke to me. Or say, how many people did you speak to? How many people did you love? Did you go in to church? Did you go to worship to give or to receive? See, a true testimony goes in to give, and it's worship. He is your worship. He is your first. It's not you. It's Him. You say, Pam, how can I, how can I spot a fake right here? Right here. And just these two things. Who's first? Who's worshipped? Always look, where's the spotlight fall? 
Who's at the center of the the attention? Who's at the center of the stage here? Who's on display? Who's being talked about? Who's being worshipped? We have too much where we're so easily driven to worship people, to worship people's accomplishments, to worship ourselves. So he is the worship, and John goes on to say, and he dwelt among us, and, and that dwelt means tabernacle with, to pitch a tent among. To pitch a tent among. To pitch a tent. Said so he came into the tabernacle. He dwelt among us. That means he tabernacled among us. He's not in there anymore. He's out here. You see, Jesus was the living tabernacle here. For the first time, the glory of God was manifested in the outer court, not the inner. And it took people a minute to get it. Living, walking, breathing among them, listen, without the veil to separate. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon said this, Depend on it, my hearer. You never will go to heaven unless you are prepared to worship Jesus Christ as God. That's good doctrine right there. To worship Jesus Christ as God. If we continue reading verse 19, it says, This is the testimony of John, and he's talking about John the Baptist right here. When the Jews sent priests and Levites to him from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? Who are you? Have you ever had somebody ask you that? I have. Who are you? Um, Pam? That's not what they were asking, John. They didn't want a name. And he confessed and he did not deny, and this is what he said. I love that John doesn't answer who he is. He starts with who he is not. I am not the Christ. Listen. I'm not your savior. I'm not your strength. I'm not your power. I'm not your deliverer. I'm not the one that you're to follow. I'm not the one that you're to glory in. I'm not the one you're to worship. I'm not the one you're to serve. I am not Jesus. But I I know who he is. I can take you to him. That's what John basically goes on to say. I, I can point him out to you. I know the one. So he starts with who he is not. How often do you tell people who you're not? We're so big on telling you who we are, right? Well, I'm Pam Jenkins. I'm founder of J-Bog Ministries. I'm a Grammy of almost 10, two grown daughters. We just go into that, don't we? We want to tell people who we are because it makes us feel important. I love that John got it. It wasn't about him. It wasn't about him. And he didn't deny it. He says, I'm not Jesus. So they ask him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. I mean, I can hear John. Don't be ridiculous. I mean, I'm wearing this hairy outfit, and I've been eating locust and honey in the wilderness. I mean, I look. do I look like that? And then they said to him, well, who are you? Tell us so that we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And I love this answer. I am the voice of one calling out in the wilderness, 
make way, make the way of the Lord straight, as Isaiah the prophet said. He quotes the scripture. John understood. Number three, listen, he is the glory. He's not only, he is first, he is our worship, but he is the glory. John said, it is not, I'm not going to bring glory to myself. I love that John does begin with what he's not. It's that self-realization, self-renunciation publicly. It's one thing to um, renounce yourself in private in your prayer closet. It's another thing to do it publicly. Don't, don't, Don't worship me. Don't follow me. Don't put me on a pedestal. Don't do that. I am not that. It's Jesus. Jesus is only one place that that belongs to. It's only one place. He's going to get all the glory. And it starts with, I love, this is the testimony of John. Let me give you what testimony means because it is such a powerful word right here. Testimony comes from the word. If you look at it, this um, Greek transliteration, martria, martyr. We get our word martyr from this word. It means to give a witness to something, to give evidence of, to report or give an account of. It's a strong word. So to give evidence or give an account of, to bear witness to something, listen, or someone in this case. And it's a strong word because it comes where we derive our word martyr from, which we know martyr means someone who died for what they believe, they were killed for what they believe. It's a strong word that gives us the understanding that it involves a death of life, a loss of the life one lives. Listen, in order to give the testimony, in order to give the witness, in order to share about who this is that you're giving an account of. In this case, it would be Jesus. So if we put that back, we could say, this is the testimony of John. No, 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 no. This is the martyrdom. This is the martyr life of John to declare who Jesus was. We cannot be that accurate witness when our flesh is on the throne. We've got to die to self daily. It's that daily martyr that has to come forth every day. When you step out that door or you get up in the morning in your home, and out in the workplace, in your church, in your communities. That true testimony is going to come from the heart of a martyr. And when John says, he's my glory, and it says in John 1, 7 about him, he came as a witness, as a martyr, to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. Is that your heart's desire? that all would believe in Jesus through you? Or is your heart's desire that all would believe in you through you? Have you ever just wanted somebody to believe in you? I have. Sometimes just to believe you, right? Elizabeth Elliot said this, and her husband was martyred and some other men. Um, in Ecuador a long time ago by cannibals witnessing for Jesus. All their wives were made widows that day. She said the only crown that Jesus wore on this earth was a crown of thorns. That's the only crown he wore on this earth. 
was a crown of thorns. You see, John understood something about himself. John understood something about himself. He was only a voice. He was just a voice. Nothing more or nothing less. And even in being that voice, it was a voice that was coming out of the wilderness. A place of barrenness, having nothing to offer anyone. I'm just a voice crying out in the wilderness. Nothing. Barrenness. I have nothing to give anybody but Jesus. Nothing to give anybody but Jesus. He is the glory. It's Him. Let me give you a nugget right here. If Jesus is not my worship, He will not be my glory. If I want to get the credit, if I want to get the glory, then He's not my object of worship. I am. I'm my object of worship because it's the object of worship that gets the glory. That's a true testimony. That's what a true testimony is. And if some people are walking around patting themselves on the back, we love that, don't we? Pat, 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 pat. Pat, 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 pat. Or we like to throw in something we've accomplished. Who gets the glory in that? Who gets the glory in it? I love in John 1.29, it tells us this about John the Baptist. The next day, it says he saw Jesus coming to him, and this is what he said. Behold. Do you know what he does in there? Every eye put it on Jesus. Everybody look. Look away from me. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold Jesus who takes away the sins of the world. He takes away the sin of all the world, all your sin, all my sin. And this is in the outer court that John's saying this. Get your eyes off of what's man-made and get your eyes on Him. He's come to take your sin away. He didn't come to cover it. See, Jews would have understood this takeaway because they understood their sins were only covered. It's only covered every year, and next year we're going to have to come and hope that God accepts the sacrifice again. But he says, he's come not to cover your sin, but he's come to take it away. How many of us, when we sin, we go back and, and, and we, want to, we, we want to see, okay, in a year, in a year we're just going to uncover it because we're living in the old tabernacle. We're living in what's Matt's man-made. You don't belong, you don't live there anymore. You don't live there anymore because Jesus didn't come to cover it. He came to remove it. He came to remove it. So if somebody comes up to you, and people have done this to me about my past before Christ or even any past sin, you could say, get out of the Holy of Holies. Number one, you ain't allowed to go in there. And number two, my sins aren't in there because they're not covered. They've been removed. Go take it up with Jesus. Go take it up with Jesus. And we love to point out other people's sins, don't we? Take it up with Jesus because, listen, no one's sin is your right to uncover. To gossip, to slander, 
to reveal, to tell. And listen, and Jesus died for that. That's why he came into your outer court. There's a lot of ugliness in the outer court, a lot of wounding that goes on. But if we will lift our eyes and behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, my sin and your sin, we'd get our eyes off of everybody else. And when they're on Jesus, you're not judging You're not slandering. You're not hurting. You're not wounding. You're not acting unbecoming. Because listen, God knows everything that's done in secret anyway. He knows everything that's done in secret. And it comes out. Jesus came to remove that. So last point out of these verses I just read. When he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Number four, He is the cause. He is first. He is your worship. He is your glory. He is the cause. And he says, make straight the paths of the Lord. Let me give you what straight here means as we begin to close out our time. He said, make make straight the path of the Lord. Behold him, but make that path to him straight. Straight right here means to make it plain. To make it plain, level, to lead, to guide, direct, or steer. It's to be the helmsman of a ship to to give a safe passage to its final destination. Make the way to Jesus straight for people. If there's someone who doesn't know anything about Jesus, we don't want to open up to the book of Romans and go into propitiation and all of this stuff. We don't want to go into that. Make it plain, it said. Make the pathway to Jesus plain and simple. I'm a simpleton. I need people to explain to me, Pam, this is sin. This was wrong. And God's word says that there's one penalty for sin, and that's death. That's the payment you owe. But Jesus came and he paid that payment so you could live. That's simple. But do you know we we make it crooked too by the way we live. People, we're confused people. I, I thought you were a Christian. I thought you were a Christian. Why are you living that way? I didn't I didn't think Christians should be doing that. You know, there was an interview that um, uh, Brad Pitt did years ago, and it was on a show. I I read an article about it. I was not watching the show, just a disclaimer. But it was one of those kind of off-color late-night shows where they they talk about stuff that are just not nice, not good. And so he was on the show, and this is what he said. And they're they're quoting. They're taking it from the script. He he said, well, if I was speaking on that, because they talk about everything, it's just, it's, it was a bad show. And he says this, well, I, I mean, I hope, I hope there's, you know, no Christians in this audience. I mean, they shouldn't be here. They are. And he goes on to answer the question. And it was something to do about his beliefs. But see, even Brad Pitt knew that Christians shouldn't have been in that kind of setting. I mean, isn't that Interesting. Isn't that interesting? Now, I don't know his faith, but I'm just saying, even Brad Pitt pointed out, well, I hope Christians aren't in this this group tonight, in this audience. 
He said, I would hope they wouldn't be here. But he is the cause. John knew there was one cause in his life, and that was to make a path so clear and straight to Jesus that anyone could come to him, that anyone could find him. Anyone. Because he came for all. He said, make it straight. And when he says, behold, I want to quickly give you this. It means call attention to, put the spotlight on. To behold the Lamb of God who takes the the sins of the world away. He said, that's my purpose, is to put the spotlight on him, to make a path straight to Jesus and to no one else. Listen, I know these messages, listen, they're not entertaining. They're hard because they're doctrine. In the church today, we're so used to the milk of the word. We need the meat of the word. We need to know who Jesus is. We need to know what he's done, that he came in our outer cord. He's our first. He's our glory. He's our worship. He's the reason why we live. He's our cause. He said it's always been about him, not about us. And to make that path straight for those to come to Jesus, to not give mixed signals. We got enough of those in our world today. Paul said in Galatians 6.14, Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Let me close with Spurgeon's quote. He says, When you are bidden to believe in Jesus, believe in him up to the brim. When you are told to love him, love him up to the brim. When you are commanded to serve him, he said, serve him up to the brim. The fullest. Give him the fullest. You know, when John Newton was on his deathbed, he said, listen, I'm still in the land of the dying. In fact, these were his last words. He said, I'm still in the land of the dying. I shall be in the land of the living soon. John understood, well, as long as I'm here, I'm in the land of the dying. Of dying of what? To self. To self. Years ago, we did, I had the privilege of going to um, Guyana. And Guyana is a third world country. A lot of poverty. And uh, we, we, we had a women's Bible study. They'd never been given a Bible study before in, in, in their hands. And so we gave them all Bible studies. And uh, we taught their children. A group taught the children. And I had the blessing of teaching the women during the day. And they would come from everywhere. They would just walk for, for miles, some of them. And the heat, it was in the summer in July, I think, in the heat of the summer. And so it's hot in Guyana. And this old lady, and I have her picture. I came across it the other day looking for some stuff for a project we're putting together. And she came every day, gray hair, just wrinkled, very old. But she clung to that Bible study. A Bible study the size of what you have in your hand that most of us will toss to the side. But not her. Not any of those women, but especially not her. And she would come every day, and you could tell, you know, that she had marks and bruisings on her. And this one day, they were, we were singing praises, and I said, does anybody have a praise to God to give this morning? We had been in the study several days, and this little sweet lady, you remember her, Deb, don't you? She said, I want to, she's a little bitty, I want to praise my Jesus She said, because my husband, every day I come to this church to learn about Jesus. 
He tells me, if you go to that church today, I will beat you when you get home. I will beat you. I will beat you. Lisa, you remember this lady. I will beat you. She said, and every day I go home, and he beat me. I'm thinking, where's the praise here? I mean, really, where's the praise? She said, but my God, my Jesus is worthy of me to come into his house and to pay the price I gladly pay for the beating. I gladly pay it. And of course, we're all in tears by this time because I think we have to beg people to come to Bible study. Oh, it's too hot. I've got too much to do. I don't have time to get in God's Word. That, they don't even own Bibles. And to give them a Bible study with the Word typed out for them was gold. And even though she was beaten every day when she got home, one woman in the same group, there was a black mamba, a, the very venomous snake on her front porch. And she said, I watched it through the door because I could not get out of my house. And she said, so I prayed that God would move the mamba so I could come to Bible study. She was late that day because the word of God, they understood that Jesus, listen, was their everything. Was their everything. They weren't alone in their outer court. So is he your everything? Think about that. Is it about you? Or is it about Him? What drives you? Who's getting the glory? Where's the spotlight? You'll know if your testimony's true. You've been listening to Join the Word with beloved Bible teacher and author Pam Jenkins. Here at JBOP Ministries, we're so honored that you would join us for the reading of God's Word. We pray that today's message has been an encouragement to your soul. Join us next time for Join the Word with Pam Jenkins. God bless y'all.